0: Ferris B'nai Torah presents The Shmooz, an engaging and motivating Musr and Hashkafah series that deals with real-life issues. Apostle Gidbeis goes on to say, When it came the time of each and every Naira, each and every young woman to come to Achashverosh When it was a time as the woman's program was 12 months Because those were the days of the anointment of the oils They would spend 6 months with the Shem and Hamur, it was a type of oil, the shisha Chadashim, and then six months with Basamim with various fragrances, anoshim, and with the women's anointments. Basically Akheshavish waited twelve months and I remember seeing one of the Mufashim, I believe, brought in the that really what they were afraid was from was from the disease. Meaning here he's going to live with each of these women. We don't know what their background is. Maybe they have some type of disease. He kept them for twelve months. This was Haggai's plot to keep them for twelve months so that if any disease they actually they would have, it would surface. And they spent six months with the oils, six months in perfumes, and then they'd be ready to go to the to the king. Positive says, and in this way the Nara, the woman comes to the to the king. Whatever she'd ask for was given to her, from the uh, from the from the woman's harem, Ad to the Besameloch. Basically, she was able to ask for whatever she wanted to help her make herself more appealing to the king. If she played a harp, she was given a harp. If she sang, she was given various accompan- accompaniments. Her job, this young woman's job, was to go in front of the king and get the king as interested as, as possible in whatever way she could possibly seduce the, the king. Apostle Gidal says, In the evening she would come, In the morning she would go back, Al-Bay Sanoshim to the woman's harem, Shani to the second woman's harem, Al-Yad Shashkaz, Sri This second harem was guarded by Shashkaz, who was the officer of the king, Shomer Pilogshim. He was the Shomer, the guard of the Pilegishes. Now, this was the second harem. The first harem, they were still Basulos, they hadn't lived with anyone, supposedly. The second harem was after they lived with the king, they now became a concubine of the king, and in that state remained for eternity until they died. They wouldn't come back to the Melech, unless the Melech desired her, and the king would ask for her by name. Typically, the woman would come one night, stay that night, the next morning leave, and never be seen again in the king's harem. Again, the king had hundreds, if not thousands, of such concubines. Keep in mind, wealth was not an issue. Ahasuerus had extraordinary wealth, he was the sole monarch of certainly the Persian Empire, potentially at least half the world, if not all the world. And he built himself in a humongous, humongous harem where these women remained. When it came the turn of Esther, the daughter of Avichael, the uncle of Mordechai, that he, Mordechai, took as a daughter, to come to the king, she asked for nothing. Yomar Except that which Hegai, the office of the king, said, you should take Shomer the guardian of the women. And Esther found favor in the eyes of all that found her. This pasuk is telling us that she asked for nothing. Says the Gra, this is another example that shows you the great miracle. By all rights, Esther should have been killed many times over. Number one, she refused to come with the original request of the king. Now, if the king requests a woman, and you refuse, or you don't come volunteering, that's a tremendous insult to the king. Here again, she's demonstrating that she doesn't want to be married to the king. Each woman got to ask for their various requests, whether it be makeup, whether it be sounds, whether it be besumming, whatever they'd ask for, they'd go in to seduce the king, she asked for nothing. Meaning, she was saying, I'm not interested. Says the Groshi, she should have been killed on the spot as a bazoian. What do you mean, you're not interested in the king? In any case, Hegai told her exactly what to take. And the Pesach says, There was a special chain. Whoever would see Esther loved her. And as a matter of fact, the Targum Shani says that each nation looked at her and saw their nation in her. Each nation claimed she's from our people, she's from our people. There was a certain chen, which is a supernatural sense that people looked at her and liked her. She found favor in their eyes and each person saw their nation in them. Hence it became more difficult to recognize that she was actually Jewish because each people claimed that they were from my nation, from my nation, from my nation. Psalms Tezain says Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus, to his palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Teves, in the seventh year of his malchus. Now, just in terms of the chronology, let's keep in mind here: the actual party, the 180-day party, was in the third year of Achashverosh's kingdom. We're now in year seven. That means we're talking three and a half, almost four years have passed from the time of that party till right now. We'll see that the Megillah actually takes, transpires over a long period of time. We read it as a few prok and we don't realize it, but actually actually, a long time before Esther was actually taken to the base of Malchus. Interestingly enough, the puzzle tells us that it was the tenth month. That's certainly something we don't need to know. So Rashi explains to us that this also is part of the Nase. Because it was the tenth month, it was Chodesh Teves, it was cold. The body is nene from the body, eight sina, the time of cold, a goof nenem and a guf the body is more nene. Apparently it was a time that Achashavish would have more Hanah from being with Esther, and therefore Hashem M said it should be that particular time so that he should desire her more. The next Pasik says, the Pasik says, Ba S Esther, the king loved Esther, Mikola Nashim from all of the women and she found favor and chesed in front of him, from all of the virgins, he put a a crown of the kingdom on her head, and he appointed her in place of Vashti. says in Megalastarim, again you see another element of the great miracle that's transpiring here. If you note, the pasuk reverses a normal procedure. Typically, a woman finds favor in a man's eyes. There's a certain attraction, a certain interest. then Vayahav, then he comes to love her. But the apostle clearly says the opposite. "Vyahava Esther," Esther. The king loved Esther. Then it says she found favor in her eyes, it says the groatsti backwards from the normal Teva. He loved her in a way that was supernatural. He fell instantly in love to an extent that was beyond the normal capacity of a man to love a woman. Says the Vilna Gaon, that's because Hashem made his heart this way, so he should want her. And immediately, Vayasam kesem Malchus he stopped the pageant, he put the crown on her head, and said, there is no more beautiful woman in the world, I'm not interested in seeing any other woman, this is the woman I want, Va'im Vashti, meaning typically, he should have gone through the rest of the pageant, another year or two years, whatever it took to get all the various Basulos, the various beautiful women in, he didn't, he stopped it right away, put the crown on her head, and made her instead of Vashti. Pasuk Yisuke says, Vayasam Alech Mishtek Gadol, the king made a great party, to all of his officers and his servants. Esther. It's called the party of Esther. And he gave a, a relief from taxation. He stopped the taxes. He gave gifts in the hand, with the great hand of the king. Basically, he removed the taxes from the provinces and he was giving out great gifts, says Rashi. All of this was part of his plan. He made a mishta, he made a great party in the honor of Esther. He gave a cessation from taxes in the honor of Esther. He gave gifts in the honor of Esther, all for one reason. He wanted to get from her which kingdom, which household she was from. She wouldn't tell. He asked her, what nation do you come from? No response. What people do you come from? No response. What family do you come from? No response. He should have killed her. Says the girl in the puzzle earlier, that's why Hashem had to put a special chayin v'chesed. It wasn't sufficient that He loved her; He loved her in a supernatural way, but her arrogance in not answering her was sufficient to have warranted her death. How dare you not respond to the king when he asks you what family you come from? Because of that, Hashem put a special chayin that, despite her apparently obnoxious behavior not to answer the king, the king forgave her and was doing everything to seduce her, to get her to tell what nation you came from. But she wouldn't. As a matter of fact, some of the other Mephoshim explained that part of Ahasuerus' plot was to get the other peoples to admit that she was from their nation, by giving great relief from taxation, by giving the gifts, by making a mishtish, he's showing how much he loves her, each nation would claim that she was theirs, he'd get the real story, because somebody would come forth, and bring, bring forward the birth records, bring forth some evidence, from which family she came from, but in any case, the Pasuk says clearly, in Pasuk Yutes, Ubi Kabetz B'Sula shenis. When the gathering of the second basulos, Mordechai Yoshe B'Shar HaMelech, Mordechai is sitting in the king's courtyard. Now, this Posig is rather unusual. It says that there's a new gathering of the basulos. Now, he just finds his wife, puts the on his, on her head, he's so happy, he stops the pageant, and all of a sudden, now we're talking about a second beauty pageant. Not only that, the posseg unusually says that Mordechai is sitting in the Shara HaMelech. I believe it's a Targum Shemi that explains that this was actually Mordechai's advice. Mordechai was an advisor to the king, and again, even though he was, Achashverish was a fine anti Semite, again, the Chachamim were the ones who were consulted. Achashverish asked Mordechai, What do I do to find out from this woman which family she comes from? So Mordechai says, Simple, I'll give you a piece of advice. What you should do is make her jealous. If a woman is jealous, she'll respond. What I want you to do is gather another set of basulos. make a new beauty pageant, let her know you're not really so enthralled with her, you're not so happy with her. Gather together a second grouping of basulos. what will happen is she'll be jealous and out of jealousy she'll admit. His kavanah, Mordechai's kavanah actually was that hopefully Ahasuerus will find another wife more beautiful than Esther, he'll kick her out of the palace and Mordechai will be saving this Jewish woman from her plight. Pasuk says, says, Esther would not tell her birth, her birth family nor her people as Mordechai commanded her. And the command of Mord- <coughs> Mordechai Esther did as when she was under his direct rulership. The Pasuk is very clear that Esther was loyal to Mordechai she remained loyal to whatever he said, and whatever she said, whatever he said, she listened to. In any case, it's very clear that Esther is not telling over which nation she's coming from, and she's remaining in that position. says, Khov Aleph says, Now apparently the events that we've transpired up to now have been left at a standstill. She's left in that position of steadfastness, she's not going to tell. Mordechai gives advice, try everything to get to tell, but she will not tell. Pesach says, Allah says, In those days. Now keep in mind, in the time in the Megillah, transpired over a long period of time, and the Pesach are not telling us exactly when this happened, but apparently sometime in this time period, Mordechai is sitting in the Shahr Big Two of the two of the servants of the king, whose names were Bixan and Serish, Mishomri the guardians of the, the guardians of the watch, got angry and Achashverush. they decided to kill Achashverush. The Gemara tells us that every night Achashverush was calling for Esther. Basically, not only was he in love with her. But he called for every night, and apparently all night long he brought, he asked these two guys, Big Sam Vasarish, who were the night guardsmen, to constantly bring water. He stayed with her each night, and he was thirsty and had various requests. So all night long, instead of their usual relaxing watch when they would sleep, they were constantly back and forth, back and forth. And the Gemara says apparently this got them so enraged that they plotted to kill Verish. The next passage says the matter became known to Mordechai Esther Malka and it was told over to Esther Malka. "Va'tomer Esther and Esther said over la Esther told it over to the king in the name of Mordechai now Rashi tells us what does it mean Mordechai? the matter became known to Mordechai says Rashi that the reason for this is is because Mordechai was one of the Yoshei Lishkas He was one of the people who sat on the Sanhedrin. In fact, Mordechai was a Rosh Sanhedrin. One of the requirements to be able to be on the Sanhedrin was you had to be able to interrogate witnesses. The problem is witnesses can come from any province. Witnesses can speak any language. To be able to properly interrogate witnesses, you have to speak whatever language they speak. Hence, an entrance requirement to be on the Sanhedrin was you had to speak the 70 languages. These two people, Big Sam Serish, were plotting to kill Ahasverish. They were sitting in the courtyard of the king and they were speaking Lushan Tursi. and Tursi was a very uncommon language there in Paris in Madai. They were confident in the fact that they were the only people there who spoke and Tursi. Therefore, they spoke openly. Unbeknownst to them was the fact that Mordechai knew Tursi because it's one of the seventy languages. Mordechai heard exactly what they were plotting. Mordechai told it over to Esther. Esther said it over to Ahasverish in the name of Mordechai. Next passage says, The matter was looked into. It was found to be true. They searched at the time of the tsaf, at the time of that guard duty, when Big Samasera should have been there, they found them off their post. They discovered the plot. They discovered the they hung Big Sal on the eighth, the Kase Bisifri Yomim, was written in the Divriya Yomim in the Chronicles, Lifnayamelech, in front of the Melech. Now there are two important points to point out from number one, the Gomar tells us how Omer Dover Bishem one who says over something in a name who said it, maybe Shalom Laolam brings peace to the world. It's a mission in and learn from this Pasuk Esther didn't go to the king and say, Big Sam is trying to kill you. Esther said, Mordechai Hayuhudi told me that Big Sam are trying to kill you. Because of that, it was written in the book of the Chronicles that Mordechai said that Big Son was trying to kill you. And from this came the eventual Yeshua of bringing Mordechai up. What's amazing about this particular Pesach is, the Pesach says, mm-hmm. It's written in the Chronicles, HaMelech, in front of the king, says, says the Gro, this was very unusual. Of course the king had a chronicler. Of course, the king had an official scribe who wrote down everything, but never was it written in front of the king. The king would tell over the chronicler, write down the following event that happened. The scribe would go down in long hand and slowly write down all the events. But this particular event was read, not only written, written in front of the king. Says the girl, why is this? Because this was all part of the miracle of the time. You see, the Gemara tells us, who was the official scribe? Who was the sofa Melech, Shimshi, who was one of the sons of Haman. When Shimshi heard that Monachai HaYehudi was involved, he immediately decided that this will not be written in the Chronicles. And for some reason unknown to Ahasuerus, Ahasuerus not only told Shimshi to write it down, he demanded that he witness the writing it down. Therefore, Shemshi couldn't change it, couldn't ignore it, it, had to be written down. Once it was written down in the Chronicle of the Kings, later on we'll see that this became a major part of the reason that the Yeshua came to the Per Gimel opens up, After these matters, the Gemara Megillah explains to us that always Hashem is 1st creates the refuah, then brings the makkah, meaning after Hashem went through the whole process of ensuring the fact that Esther would end up in the base Hamalchus, that was the refuah for the eventual makkah of Haman's attempt to kill the Jewish nation. Now, the Vilna Goan mentioned something very interesting on Esther, and that is the fact is she was, at least according to one mandam in the Gemara, a married woman. But even according to the other Manda she was certainly a very well-known woman because she was one, one of the most beautiful women on the planet. The question is, how come it was that when she was brought to the palace, no one knew that she was Jewish? She was hiding the fact that she was Jewish for many years, especially keeping in mind that very Achishverosh was very motivated to know her lineage, He did all of these various things to try to get from her which nation she came from. Why wasn't it that there were many people who knew who she was? Why didn't any of these people come forward? The girl learns, and there is a machlokas about this, but the girl learns that this was a nace. It was an element that was forgotten from the face of the planet. Who this woman was, where she came from, it was almost like a cloud descended on the memory of all the people who knew her, all the people in the streets who she had met, all the people who saw her, forgot who she was, and it was, no one knew her history. This was, again, part of the Rafur because this mysterious woman, who is now the queen, is in the palace, and this is the refuah that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is bringing for the Makkah. The postic says, dvar after these matters, Gidal is the king Ahasuerus brought up to glory, brought up to power, Haman ben Hamdasa Ha'agogi, and he made him above the other Sarim. He placed his chair above all the Sarim, above all the princes, above all the officers that were there. Now, the pasuk is very clear to tell us the lineage of Haman. Haman ben Hamdasa Ha'agogi. Now, we're all familiar with the source of this original title of Agogi. Agog was a melech, was a king from the Amaleki line. Shaul HaMelech was given very specific instructions to kill out all of Amalek, including the men, women, children, and animals. In fact, Shaul HaMelech sent out his army. The army was chas on the livestock and on Agog and didn't kill him. Shaul did not stand up for what the Navi said exactly. Hakadosh appeared to Shmuel and Navi and said that I'm ripping away the malucha from from Shaul because he was kotan be'enav, He acted too humbly. He didn't stand forward. And in fact, Shmuel comes to Shaul and tells him this. Shaul, Shaul tries to do tshuva, but it's too late. In any case, Shmuel physically kills Agog. But the problem is that Shmuel did not come to kill Ogog until the day after Ogog had been captured. That night, when Ogog was captured, he lived with a woman. And even though the next day Shmuel literally chopped Ogog into pieces, that woman had already been pregnant from Ogog. And from that child came all of the future Maleki generations. Had that not happened then in fact there would not have been a Malik. This person, Haman ben Amdasa, is from the Agogi line, and the pasuk is telling us his lineage, that he is clearly an Amaliki. The next pasuk says, All of the servants in the king's palace, in the king's share, would bow down to Haman. Now, it's interesting to note, why is it that the king particularly brought Haman up to power? The Gro explains that really he was not particularly powerful. He originally started as one of the lowest of the king's advisors, but because he gave this advice that was poor, he advised Ahasuerus to kill his wife. Again, it was not what Ahasuerus wanted. Ahasuerus wanted his wife Vashti to remain the queen because there was a power play that gave him ascension to the Babylonian throne with her being the heiress. Even though Haman gave poor advice... It was accepted by Ahasuerus as wise advice. And even though now he killed Vashti, he wakes up sad. Hashem put such a love in his heart for Esther that he recognized that actually Haman did from a great service. That now he got rid of the old and has the new. That along with the fact that Haman was very wealthy, Ahasuerus was enamored with the wealth wealth of Haman, allowed Ahasuerus to feel that Haman was the most wise of all of his advisors. And he brought him up to power. Not only did he bring the power, but the pasuk says that he made all the Avdeh Melech, all of the other servants in the Shah Melech, he made them all bow down to Haman, which means wherever Haman walked, wherever he went, there was a rule in the Medina that anyone had to bow full down face on the floor. Ki kein because that is the command of the king, Mordechai would not bow down. Meaning, he would not go on his knees, nor would he be now, nor would he bow down, face in the ground. Now, we know that there's a famous machlokus as to why it is that Mordechai would not bow down. Rashi brings down the simple pshat, which is brought in the Gemara, that Mordechai was n- did not want to bow down to a either. Homan had an Avodah Zorah on him, he had some kind of and some kind of ad- idolatry on his body, or he made himself into an object of Avodah Zorah, Mordechai would not bow down, because he felt that was Avodah Zorah, that's one pshat. There is another pshat that's very clear, that the reason why Mordechai did not bow down, had nothing to do with Avodah Zorah, and rather it was actually a mistake. The, the McGill-Storm says that Mordechai should have bowed down, and as a matter of fact, the Gemara brings down that there was a taina against Mordechai. The taina against Mordechai was because you would not bow down to Haman. The entire decree against the Klai Yisrael unfolded when the Pasik says Mordechai ben Yair ben Chimi ben Kish Ishimini. The Gemara brings down that the Kli Yisrael were complaining, "Look what this Ishimini did! Look what he did to us!" Because he did not bow down to Haman, all of the decrees happened. According to that shot, the Megillat says, "Really, Mordechai made a mistake." And the Megillah says that there are times, he quotes the Ramban in Yeshaya, there are times when a tzaddik will do something wrong. Says the Ramban in Yeshaya that there are times when a Hu will take away the Bakhira from a tzaddik. For certain reasons, Hashem wanted the entire event to unfold as they did. Therefore, Hashem took away the Bakhira, and it was almost like Mordechai did not have free will. He could not bow down. In any case, he would not bow down to Haman the de Hamelech, the servant of the king who were in the Shah Melech, said to Mordecai, Why are you being over? Why are you violating the commandment of the king? Now, we're all familiar with the Medrish that says that the name of Hashem does not appear in the Megillah. Whenever you see the word Hamelech, that is the reference to a Kurdish now we know the Megillah was written by Mordechai, Esther. In any case, there are two reasons, primarily two reasons why the name Hashem does not appear in the Megillah. The first reason is because Mordechai and Esther were writing this, and this Megillah was to become part of the Dasai Paras, Modai, they were afraid to put the name Hashem in the Megillah. If they would put the name Hashem, the local of Zoraniks would change the word of Hashem to their of Zorah. They would be Mavazah, the name of Hashem, and therefore... Mordecai and Esther decided it was wiser to leave the name out. There's a secondary reason which is brought in various meforshim, and that is from the Drush on the word Esther, Haster, Esther, Ponim, that Hashem hides his, hides his face, meaning that throughout the gullus, even though HaKadosh Baruch Hu controls all the events of history, but Hashem does it behind the scenes. Hashem hides Himself. Because the Megillah was to be a lesson for Doros of gullus and the message is that Hashem hides himself behind the scenes, the name Hashem has been eliminated from the Megillah to teach us that Yesod, that all of the palace intrigue, all of the various plots and subplots, were really the way Hashem was running the world behind the scenes. In any case, the Medrash tells us that when you see the words HaMelech Ahasverosh, the King Ahasverosh, that refers to Ahasverosh. When you see the word HaMelech, that refers to Hashem. In this Pasuk, we see the words, Maduah ata'overz mitzvah sa'melech. Why are you violating the command of the king? The Megillah Starim would tell you that that is because there was actually a taina against Mordechai. Why are you violating the words of Hashem? Hamelah means because since it's not a varazara, you should have bowed down. Again, if you learn it that he wasn't putting in a vodah you can't read the Pasuk this way, you have to learn a different shot. But that's the way the Megillah would read this. The Pasuk dalet continues, Vahik ba'amram elav yom v'yom. When they would say to him, Ki Amram, when they would say to him Yom Vayom each day, Vlosham Aleyam, he would not listen to them. Meaning the various people, the various officers in the courtyard of the king had a tie against Mordechai. Who do you think you are? All of us have to bow down. We all follow the command of the king. Who do you think you are? You think you're above us, you think you're beyond the law, that you don't have to listen to us? And they said to him each and every day. Then they went and told Haman, liros to see Mordechai whether the words of Mordechai would be upheld he said to them I am a Yehudi says Rashi I am Yehudi I am Jewish and I will never bow down now what's interesting to note is that the officers and the various dignitaries said this to Mordechai on a daily basis why aren't you listening to the Dvar Melech why aren't you listening to the king's command it's only later on, the Pasuk says, they said over to Haman, to see whether in fact Mordechai would be able to get away with his, his, his statement that he'll never bow down. The Grah is bothered by an obvious question. What do they have to tell Haman for? Every day Haman would walk out, and noticeably, Mordechai would not bow down. It wasn't a hidden fact. He would clearly, not just not bow down, he would look at Haman and not bow down. Yet apparently they had to tell Haman, says the gro fantastic illustration in human character the says lo ra mahmas godel geuso homon didn't notice it he was so self-absorbed, so Im- absorbed in his honor and his glory, he didn't notice that one of the main, his main adversary, one of his main antagonist, one of his enemies, one of the most powerful people, additionally, in the Medina, would not bow down to him. He was so self-absorbed that even though, again, typically a Baal guy is very sensitive. What do you mean you don't give me cover I'm very mocked about my cover But he was so absorbed in his honor, he didn't even notice this fact until they actually came and told him, that Mordechai is not bowing down. Pothakei continues, Vayar Haman, ki aim Mordechai korei mishtachaveh. Haman saw that Mordechai would not bow down to him. The gra there explains, what do you mean he saw? He actually went close. Haman tested to see if it's true. Haman walked very close to Mordechai and stood there. Mordechai stared him in the eye and Mordechai would not bow down. Vayar Haman, then Haman saw that in fact Mordechai would not bow down. Vemale Homunchemo became filled with anger. Now the Mayam Lois brings down, I believe it's a Yalkut Shimoni, a famous famous medrash that was, actually was happening here was more than just what meets the eye. The Mayam Lois brings that two years into Acheshvarus' reign there was a slight rebellion in the provinces that are now known as India. Acheshvirus sent out twelve thousand soldiers led by two generals to put down this rebellion. Those two generals, each in charge of 6,000 soldiers, were Haman and Mordechai. He gave them each enough provisions, enough food, water, and necessities to last for three years of battle. They set out, and Haman, after one year of battle, had used up all his provisions. He was not frugal, he wasn't careful, and he was Mephazah, what he had, and he ended up, after one year, without any food, without any water. Mordechai, who was the general of the other army who had attacked from the west, they had both attacked from different angles, from different ends. Mordechai was very frugal, very careful with his provisions. Haman came to Mordechai and said, I have no food, I have no water, will you please give me, will you please share with me? Mordechai said no, he refused. Haman went back to his army, they had some food left, some drink left, but it was clear that they were going to die of starvation. He came a second time and came to Mordechai and said, you have to help me. Now because Mordechai was very frugal, not only did he have enough for his campaign, he had enough to share. But he wouldn't do it. And he said to Haman, recognizing that Haman was the major soni Israel that he was, he said to him, I'll do it, I'll share this with you on the one condition. You sell yourself to me as an evid. Now there was no star that they could write on the battlefield. So what they did was, there was a certain foot protection that they used to wear when they went to battle which was made of leather Mordechai took that off and the inside of it he wrote with a, with a pen he wrote with a culmiss he wrote the shtar mechira that Haman was selling himself as a slave and in fact Haman served one day out of the week Haman was obligated to act as an evid to act as a slave to Mordechai when it was signed Mordechai gave enough provisions to Haman to then bring back to his armies. In fact, both armies were victorious, and they both came back to the Medina. Soon thereafter, Achashverosh brought up Haman to Gedula, despite the fact that Haman was in his glory and everyone was bowing down to him, he was an evid. Oftentimes, Mordechai would go out in the street wearing this armor, wearing this leather foot protection, passing by Haman. This day, when Haman wanted to see, in fact, whether, ah- whether Mordechai is going to bow down to him or not. Mordechai was wearing this foot protection. When, he would not, when Haman passed in front of him, not only did Mordechai not bow down, he clearly showed this armor, took out the shtar and said, I, the master, should bow down to the slave. V'yimale Haman was enraged. Vav says, yad It was lowly in his eyes to send his hand to kill out Mordechai alone. Ki am They told him over the nation of Mordechai. Veivakeish Homan lahashmin is kol Yehudim. Haman requested to kill out all of the Yehudim. Asher beMalchus Achashverosh in the Malchus Achashverosh am Mordechai, the nation of Mordechai. Now clearly, homan knew exactly who this man was. He knew who Mordechai was. When the Apostle says, Hegidolot's Am Mordechai refers to the Sanhedrin, the Gemara tells us. He knew, certainly, the nation of Mordechai. He knew Mordechai was Jewish. What particularly bothered him was the Am Mordechai. He decided to kill out not just Mordechai, kill out the Sanhedrin, and kill out all of the Jews as well. Apparently, it was particularly the act of Mordechai that incited him to be so furious. And because of that, he decided to kill out, to plot to kill out all of the Jews the next passage says harishon, in the first month chodesh nisan which is the mishnas 12 in the 12th year of anhashvirush's reign he pilpur he spun the lots now let's just focus here for a moment this is the year 12 meaning the party that anhashvirush made for the 180 days for all of the people was in year 3 of his melucha, third year of his monarchy in year 7 Esther becomes queen. We're now in year 12. Five years later. If you look at the Me'am Ma- Lois, brings down that Dayavish the II. We know there are two Dayyavishes. The f- second Dayavish, which is the son of Ahasuerus and Esther, who is the one who allowed the rebuilding of the second base of Mikdash, was born during that first year. So, in year 7 of Ahasuerus and Meluch, he marries Esther, somewhere approximately a year after they have a child a child who is called Dayavish II named after the original Dayavish who is Jewish keep in mind Esther is a Bas Yisrael, married to a guy, but this child is in fact Jewish we're now in year 7 in year 12 meaning 5 years after Esther has already been in the Melucha at this point Haman he pilpur, he spins a lot Huha goral, this is the Goral in front of Haman Miyom yom yom from day to day, Mi-chodesh chodesh from month to month, Shnei Masar, Hu-chodesh Adar, which is the month of Adar. Now, the explains that this Hippilpur pur is not how people typically assume some kind of frivolous or silly lottery. Actually, what's happening, says the is that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world, Hashem created forces in nature, which are obvious and seen to man, and Hashem created forces in nature which are not clearly seen. There are various kochos that Hashem put in the world, What are known as black magic, kishuf, kohos, atuma, and various forces, where there is a concept in the Torah of machshef al-sechaya, that means a person who literally does black magic, who is able to make different things appear, who is able to make things disappear. There are certain forces of Shadim and Koach that Hashem put in the world. This Hippopur is a way to tap into the Koach of Mazolos. There is a method by which a person can divine what the Mazols have determined. Homan was divining to see which was the auspicious, which was the most likely to be successful Chodesh, which was the most likely to be a successful day. And the first thing he did, it came out on the 13th day. First he did the days, then he did the Chodesh, and it came out Chodesh other. When it came out Chodesh Adr, he was overjoyed. Why? Because he knew that Moshe Rabban, the Rav of Yisrael, Moshe Rabbeinu, died in Chodesh Adr. He took this as a simon that obviously his poor is successful because this is known as a bad month of the Jews. The Gomar tells us he didn't know that Moshe Rabbeinu was also born the same day he died. But in fact, the day that came out, according to the poor, was the 13th day of Adar, and he took it as a sign that the Mazal of Israel is bad in that time, and that he would be able to kill out the Jewish nation at this point. What's interesting to note is that the Targum Shani says that he, Haman, was not actually the one who was Hippalpur. He was not the one who threw the lots. It was actually his son, Shimshi Hasopher. Shimshi Hasopher was the one who actually threw the lots, and we'll soon see that becomes an integral part of the story as it unfolds. The Ches says, There is one nation spread out and not together amongst the people. And all of the nations of your monarchy... Shown us, their understanding or their religion is different from all nations. And they don't do the wishes, the command of the king. And to the king, it's not worthy to keep them around. The Gemara Megillah tells us that no one knew to speak Lashon Hura as well as Haman. In fact, the Gemara Darshan says that this Pasuk was actually a complex plot that Haman was speaking directly to Ahasuerus. Apparently, this was not the first time that Haman requested from Ahasuerus to kill out the Jews. And we know that Ahasuerus was a fine anti-Semite in his own right, who Risho Mitchilo He was very motivated to kill out the Jews. However, he had seen previously what had happened to all of the various kings who came before him who tried to kill the Jews. Nebuchadnezzar had died a terrible death. Bal Shetzer had died immediately when that handwriting was on the wall he knew that starting up with the Jews was a bad idea to which Haman said to him no you're making a mistake yesh noam says the Gemara. yesh no is not the word there is it's from the word yeshanu yeshanu min amitzvahs. you're afraid that the Jewish nation are untouchable because God protects them yeshanu min amitzvahs. they're sleeping from the mitzvahs they're no longer who they used to be and if you'll tell me, Ahasuerus says back, that may be true, that some are sleeping, but there's still the Chachamim, there's still the great leaders amongst them. There's the Chachamim, there's the Sanhedrin. Amechad, they're one nation, says Haman, where the head goes, the tail goes. It cannot be that if in fact the head was so high, if in fact it was so righteous, there's no way that the Haman Am could be sinning as they are. Yesh no Am echad, they're one nation. If you'll claim that there'll be a rebellion, if we kill them out, there'll be a rebellion, that's spread out anyway. It's not worth it for you to keep them alive. At this point, apparently, Haman was successful in convincing Ahasuerus not to kill the Jews, but that Hashem would not take revenge. He apparently convinced them, then, in fact, Hashem was angry with the Kli and He would be successful in killing him out without Hashem killing him. Haman continues in pasuk. Test email that is good in the King's eyes. La la'abdom. It should be written to destroy them, to wipe them out. La'serus and ten thousand talents of silver. Eshkol osi I will give on the hands of the ones who do the malacha la'havi alginzi amelach to bring to the King's Palace. It is a makhlukah Whether Haman was offering his own money Or offering that the ones who will do the work will pay But the amount of money that was offered as a bribe Is a phenomenal sum A talent Kikar Kesev is approximately 50 pounds Haman was offering 10,000 talents of silver Which is a huge sum of money Keep in mind that that silver is Weighed by the ounce, And he's offering 10,000 50 pound Lots of silver He's offering a huge and tremendous bribe to the king. Now, it's interesting, there's a famous mimer that the, that Chaim Velozhin was once walking on Purim. And Ani came to him and said, if you give me siddhaq, I'll tell you a nice vort. And Rav Chaim Velozhin said, fine, Rav Chaim gave him a coin. And the Ani said to him, you know the Pasuk says, yikasev la'abdam. Don't read it la'abdam, read it as lo'bedam. Read it as the decree was signed, not with blood. Meaning, even though the decree was signed, it wasn't signed with blood, it is still reversible. And Rav Chaim Velozhin was very impressed with the vart. He said it's a very nice vart. He came later to his Rebbe, the Vilna and he said over this vart, and the Vilna said, Oh, do you know who told you that vart? It happens to be this morning, Elyon Novi was here and told me that vart, that Oni was an Oni, that Oni was Elyon Novi. Apparently, he was zochet to see this This." particular vart and apparently the decree had been set it had been written but it wasn't written Badam, it wasn't fully written but it was definitely written in Shemayim. in any case Pasuk Tess goes on to say I'm sorry one more step also b'chol malchosecha the gross says a very important point Haman was pointing out something very important with those words even though the Jews are spread out mafuzer, m'fura bena they're still b'chol medinos malchosecha don't you recognize Remember, the 127 medinas that are left to you, all of the Jews are left alive within your dominion. Even though you lost over hundred kingships, over a hundred states have been taken from you, every single Jew alive has been left to you. Don't you understand that's a sign that Hashem wants His nation killed? Apparently that was a winning taina, and based on that, in fact, Akashverosh agreed. Yud goes on to say, The king took off his ring from his hand. This was a signet ring. This was the way a king would sign all of his various decrees. Not only did he sign over the decree to kill the Jews, he gave the tabas itself. He gave the power of signature over to him. And he effectively took rulership. Gave it over to Haman, gave him complete power. ben He gave it over to Haman ben So rara a Yehudim, the enemy of the Yehudim. Now, it's interesting to note, the Gemara tells us, that this Hasarasa Tabas, this giving over of the Tabas from Achashleirish to Haman, did more good for the Jewish people than 48 Navim and 7 Nevios. Because even though... <coughs> The Nevi'im and Nevi'us came generation after generation telling the Klai to do tshuva. None had the kind of effect <coughs> that this Hasar the had. Once the power was given over to Haman, once the Klai understood that Haman is completely, totally in power, that was the single cognition, the single recognition that allowed the Klai to fully do tshuva and actually change the gzera, that which all of the Nevi'im of previous nations were... Previous generations were not able to accomplish. Apostle Girawath goes on to say, The king said to Haman, The money is given to you. And the nation do with them as you wish. We see that Ahasuerus did not accept the bribe. Haman offered a huge sum of money. Achashver said, you don't have to pay me. The Gemara Megillah says, actually, if you want to know what this is compared to, says the Gemara, it's compared to two neighbors. One had a very large ditch in his farm. His next door neighbor had a huge pile of dirt. The man with the ditch said to the man with the huge pile, please, I'd like to pay you to take the dirt from your farm and fill my ditch so I can then farm my land. The neighbor with the big pile said, you want to pay me? What do you have to pay me for? Gladly take it. You're doing me a great service. Take it for free. Says the Gemara, that was exactly the conversation between Ahasuerus and Homan. Ahasuerus says, you want to pay me 10,000 talents of silver? You don't have to pay me a penny. The only reason I don't kill the Jews myself is because I'm afraid of their God. You've now convinced me that Hashem is angry with them. You don't have to pay me. Take it. Do with them as you wish. You can have my full blessings. Paso Gibes goes on to say, Vayikru Sofrei Melach, B'chodesh Areshon, the Sofrei Hamelach, the scribes of the court, said over, wrote over. In the first month, in Bashlosha in Nisan, the thirteenth day of Nisan Vay Kasav Kekholashiva Homan Al Khash Tapaneha All that Homan said over to the offices of the Melech, to the scribes of the Melach, Velopachos and to those under them, Ashabachomadina Medina. Over each and every nation, Valsari Am Daam and to each of the offices of every every Am, Medina Ubindina Kihsova, each and every Medina in their in their writing, v'el al Amba Am Kiloshono, and each nation in their language, Bishem Amelachasher is Nichtab, and the name of Akashir is written Venechtam Bitabasamelak. And it was signed in the in with the signature ring of the king. What this Possug is telling us is that the basic system of communication was they would send out egeris to all of the different provinces. There was a whole system that there were various scribes. Each scribe, again, we have a huge, almost half of the world all of the different provinces speak different languages, how to communicate to all of them. So, the various different scribes who wrote both the letters and the language of the different provinces. Human commanded the head scribes, the head scribes commanded all of the under scribes, and each one under them and under them, and by hand, they wrote thousands upon thousands of these egerises. Now, each egeris was sent to each city state, and we'll soon see that each city state, not only was it sent there, but in the public places of each city state, it was prominently posted. Apostle Gideon Gimel says, The svarim were given into the hands of the runners, or to all of the medinos ha-melech, to destroy, kill, and and eliminate all the Yehudim, from young to old. Taf Venoshim, children and women, biyom echad, in one day, in the thirteenth day of other ushlalom lovos, and their booty is to be taken captive. Meaning, not only were there enough anti-Semites in the Medina to gladly kill the Jews, there was a bribe, there was a shokhad that Homan was adding to that. And that is that the booty was to be taken by the killers. So. If you succeeded in killing out a Jewish household, not only did you get the honor of killing that household, but any wealth that they had became yours. The Jews historically were wealthy. Even now in Paris and Monday they were doing well. There were many Jews who had fortunes. And now there was a tremendous motivation on the part of anyone, whether he was anti-Semitic or not, to kill the Jews, namely their great wealth. The person who succeeded in killing out that Jewish person got the wealth. So obviously there's a great motivation involved. The word was given out in each and every Medina. Revealed to all of the nations. To be prepared for this day. Now keep in mind, it was the 13th of Nisan that the Garris that Homan convinced Ahasverus. That is the day that the garrisons were sent out. It's not until almost 11 months later, until the 13th of Adar, that the actual killing is to take place. Most of the provinces didn't know it right away. Most of the provinces, it took quite a number of days, weeks, maybe a month, to the garrison to get there. However, <inaudible> the runners ran out pushed, but in the word of the king, <inaudible> the knowledge was given out in Shushan Nabira <inaudible> that day, meaning, in the rest of the, populated world, and the rest of Ahashverj and Melucha, it took a long time for the word to get out. In Shushan that day, Bo Bayom, on the 13th of Nisan, the word was spread out, because there, the garrisons were put up right away, and everyone knew about it. Vamelech of Yashu Lishtos, the king and Haman sat down to drink, they were happy, joyful VaIr Shushan Navocha and the city of Shushan was depressed the main body of the Jewish people were in Shushan and the Targum Shani is very explicit what happened in Shushan on that day. In each public place, there was a city courtyard. In that courtyard, there was a large post. This Igeris was stamped on the post. Meaning, every whatever mile, every two miles, whatever there was a central gathering area, they put up these posts. And the Igeris was very clearly written. The Targum Sheni tells us that what it says was as follows. I, Ahasuerus, your king, have been... "...met by this person, this great man, Haman, who suggested to me that we kill out this lowly, unimportant nation, and he offered me 10,000 talents silver, I accepted his offer, and I sold the Jewish nation to be killed. They are worthless, they are meaningless, and I, your king, have decided that they should be killed." I'm now happy and I'm drinking and I want everyone to be happy with me and drink with me. On the 13th of Adr, I want you to all, anyone who knows how to hold a bow and arrow, to take your bow and arrow. Anyone who knows how to take a sword, take your sword. Go out and kill the men, women and children and take all of their booty. And now the end of the Egeris was the biting part. Each and every place in my Medina, each and every place in my dominion, if there is a family... If there's a city, if there's a state in which a Jewish person is found, that family, that city, that state will be killed out. Because I, Ahasuerus, want the death of all the Jews, and I want not a single Jew left in my Malucha. The Targum Sheni tells us that when the Jewish people saw this Igeris, They immediately went to one of their friends, a gayish friend who they lived next to for many, many years, who was a loyal friend and said, hide me, take me as a slave, please save me, to which his friend said, are you crazy? Didn't you read the Egeris? Any nation in which a Jew is found, any city in which a Jew is found, any family in which a Jew is found is to be killed. Achshvemesh was a very powerful king when he made an edict it was very very real and very very powerful and every single person was afraid that in fact he would be killed out so even if a particular guy was more friendly with a Jew even if he didn't necessarily want to kill himself a Jew and even if he wanted to help out there was no way that he could do it because he knew that not only would he be killed out his family would be killed the whole area they was in and maybe even the whole Medina would be killed. Therefore Yishushan the, Avoha, with this understanding, the city of Shushan sat down to be depressed, because they understood the severity of the decree, and in fact they understood that the Jewish population was slated to be wiped off the face of the planet on Yud Gimel Perakdal opens up, Umarachai is kolashen nasa, and Marachai knew all that was done. Now the pasuk is very vague, and Rashi explains to us what does this mean Umarachai So Rashi says Bal hachalom Amalo, the Bal hachalom the person of dreams told him she yonim that above they agreed. The targum is even more open. The targum says that Eliyahu novi came to Marachai and told him as follows that this decree against the Jewish nation was not set below. It wasn't Haman, it wasn't Achashverush who made this decree, it was actually Min Because the Klai had sinned, Min the decision had been made to kill out the Jewish nation. Rashi explains to us, he quotes the Gemara Megillah, what was the chayt, it's actually a machlokas, there are two Ma'adamrim in the Gemara, either because they bowed down to a Tselem in the days of Luchanetzer, meaning a large segment of the Jewish nation bowed down to Avodah in the time of Nebuchadnezzar, or the other Mandomer says, nenu misudas because the Jewish nation had Hanah from the Sudas Ahashverosh. However, in either case, it comes out because of either one of these Averas, the Kalei were in fact slated to be to be killed. It's not our place to really at length discuss this, but it's very interesting to note. It was one Avera, one sin, but if a significant enough number of people did it, apparently that was sufficient for Kalaya to destroy the whole Jewish nation. People oftentimes have questions, why the Holocaust, how could they have taken good Jews and, and killed them? Apparently it wasn't for mitzvahs, and uh, apparently we've seen many times in history, if the Klesvah sins. Then they lose that merit of protection and additionally there will be times when the entire class will be fit to have been destroyed. In any case, Mordechai knew this, as all that was done, meaning he knew not just that the decree had been made, but he knew about the money that not only had Haman offered 10,000 shekel to buy the nation, but that Achashverosh refused. The Mefarshim on the Gemara explained to us that the reason why Achash refused was because actually he hated the Kleishol more than did Haman. The Gemara gave us that marshal, the two people, one with a ditch and one with a pile. The Mefarshim explained the reason why Achash actually refused was because as a sign, as a simon, that he hates the Jewish nation more. Don't pay me, I would pay you. Vayikra Murchai begodov. Morchai ripped his clothing. Vayilbash sak vayifer. He wore ashes and sackcloth. Vayait Bitochair, he went into the city, into the center of the city, Vayizak Zakag Dola Umara, and he let out a bitter and great cry. He began crying out loud. The Targum Sheni explains to us that actually what happened was Murachai was the Rosh Sanhedrin. He was known as the Galador. Shushan was the main population of the Jewish people. Lived there. There was a large square somewhere in the center of Shushan. He went to the large square, put on sackcloth and ashes, and sat on the floor and began crying. The word began spreading that the Golador is sitting on the floor. No one had known about the decree yet, but they began gathering around and he began telling them about what happened. He told them about the decree, he told them about the fact that the Xeru was agreed in Mishmaim, people started gathering more people and more people and more people, and as the Targum Sheni tells us, there were literally thousands of people, the Jewish population of Shushan understood. Again, even though the, the Ratzim, even though the runners didn't get to the outer regions of the Melucha too much later, but Yud Gimel, all of Shushan knew, and they were gathered around Mordechai, sitting there on the floor, crying. Palsik Beis tells us, Vayavu ad lefinei shar Mordechai went up until the Shah HaMelech. lavo el Shah One cannot come to the actual gate of the king wearing a levush sak. What Mordechai told the Jewish nation at this point is that there is no hope. He said, ein la we don't have a king to rely on, we're in exile. Ein novi, we don't have a novi, we don't have a prophet who could intercede, who could daven for us. We don't have a place to run. Vein medina, there's no nation, there is no hope. And when he went to Adlaf Lefnei HaShar HaMelech, the Targum Sheni says that what he was actually doing is, he was showing something very important. Typically, he, being an advisor to the king, should have gone right into the king. Meaning, he should have put on his best clothes and he should have appealed to Ahasuerus. Not only didn't he appeal to Ahasuerus, he sits down in the courtyard and he wears sackcloth the type of clothing that one is not allowed to go into the Shahamelach with, even though people asked him, "Why don't you intercede? Why don't you take normal HaTeva, He wouldn't do that because he was showing clearly that there is no hope. The normal method of HaTeva, the normal method of appealing to the king, the normal method of using political intercedence to use various strategies to get the king to to have rachamunus would not work. Therefore, he sat blavushsak. The pasuk gives says medina, medina each and every nation, mekoma she'advar melech v'dasul every place with the word of the king and his understanding, his approach reached evil gadol le'yehudim. It was a great mourning le'yehudim, mitzon u'bichi, fasting and crying u'misped and has spedim. The targum tells us has spedim. People were basically writing their eulogies. They knew it was over. Tzak v'efah yutsal arabim. Sak of meaning ashes and sackcloth. We rabim. Everyone had on this this attitude of it's all over. The targum sheni explains to us that in each of the places where the Igeris reached, so it was publicly in a large in the center area, it was posted to a large pole. And every day, the Jewish people would go out, look at the Egeris. Again, the Egeris we had described earlier was written by Ahasuerus, gave the exact date that a new all the Jews are to be killed. And the Targum tells us that each day, the Jewish people would pass it, and they would count their remaining days on the planet. They knew that there was no hope. Even the Tzadik Ador was clearly showing that he wasn't going to go in. And therefore, they knew that it was all over. But Tavona Naras, Esther, the... The young maidens of Esther came to her, and her servants, and they told her. They reported to her that Mordechai was sitting in the Shah Ha-Melech, almost in the Shah Ha-Melech. what he had said and what was happening. The Malka was very, very troubled, very, very upset. She sent begodim to dress Mordechai. Ulahasir and to take off his sackcloth from upon him, he wouldn't accept. The, and the Megillah Starim explains to us that this was also again in the same light, where Esther was send, sending a message to Mordechai, take off your ashcloth, meaning appeal using the regular system of Dere appeal to the king, we'll use normal strategies, she sent begodim, she sent clothing to Mordechai to send that message, V'lo Kibel, Mordechai would not accept, because again, Mordechai had Ruach HaKodesh, Mordechai had seen that this Xair was accepted in a Shemayim, and there was no way that Sibos, that the normal systems of Derech the normal systems that we would use, would work. There was only one hope, and that was total complete tshuva, and that was a message that Mordechai sent back. Apostle says, V'atikra Esther Hasach Esther called Hasach. The Gemara tells us that Hasach was Daniel. Daniel was a Novi, he was an older novi. He had been an advisor to the kings for many, many years, and he was as well an advisor to Ahashverj, B'derach Nais Hasach was given to Esther as a servant. Misar Siamelech Hasach was one of the servants of the king. Asherhemi lefenah that was placed in front of her. But Mordechai la das ma She sent Esther sent Daniel to speak to Mordechai. Basically, there was a major concern. What should be our approach? What should we do? And Daniel was going back and forth between Esther and Mordechai delivering message. Vayehtsei Hasach al Mordechai al Chhova'ir. Hasach went out to Mordechai to the streets of the city, Asher Lifnei Asher Hamelech, that was in front of the Shah Hamelech. Vayaged lo Mordechai, Mordechai told him, Eskolashhe <inaudible> Korau, all that happened, besparsha sekesev and the money that was offered, Asher Amma Haman, that Haman said, Lishko langize Hamelach ba Yehudim la Abdam, that Haman said to give over to the treasury of the king of, for the Jews to sell him. That's by Sava Savadas and the hurried nature of the Das, and the nature to quickly send out the message in Shushan to kill them. He showed him one of the garrisons. It wasn't sufficient that he told over. He took one of the garrisons and showed it. Give this to Esther to show her. To show that Savasalat, to command her. To go to the king, to ask that she should go to the king and ask for her nation. Now it's very clear that Mordechai told a tzivuy. Mordechai didn't just ask that Esther should go to the king. Mordechai commanded Esther to go. The reason why is because this Sadekis certainly would not want to go willingly to her husband now, supposed husband now, Ahashverosh, therefore he specifically gave a command that she should go. Vayavu Hosach, Vayagil Esther's Divrei Mordechai. Hosach came and said over to Esther the Divrei Mordechai, the words of Mordechai. Vatoma Esther Hasach, and Esther said, Lahatas vatsaveo a and she commanded back to Mordechai. And the words said back were as follows, Kolavdei all of the servants of the king, Va'am Adinus and the... People of the Medinah's Melach Yodim, Asher Kol Ish VeIsh, every man and woman, Asha Yavol Amelach, who will go to the King Elchotzar Panimis to the inner courtyard, Asher Lo Yikari, who is not called Achas Dassol Lahamis, is killed. There's one Dass, he's killed. Levad Meisha Yoshi Lo Melach Asharbi is resolved unless the King puts down his golden scepter Khaya and lives Manil Onikrisi Levol Amelach Zesh Loshim Yom, and I have not been brought to the King. I've not been called to the king for 30 days. Now basically, you have to keep in mind that Ahasverosh was a very, very powerful despot. And there was a rule in his kingdom. If you walked into an inner sanctum without being invited, Ahas daso lahamish, you were killed. As a matter of fact, the Medrash tells us that there were two rotschim, there were two guards at the foot of Ahasverosh's throne. If anyone walked in, they immediately went to kill him. In fact, that's what happened by Esther. They went to kill him. However, they were stopped. The point is, Esther said back a very good taina. Anyone who comes in to the Hamis is, is immediately to be killed. The Targum puts in very troubling words. The Targum says, anyone who comes into the courtyard, unless he's invited by Haman. What the Targum is telling us is, that not only did... Ahasuerus gave over his signet ring to Haman, he gave over complete control of his monarchy to Haman. The only people who went in to visit Ahasuerus were the ones who Haman said should come in. There was no hope for an audience, because it wasn't just that Haman made the decree together with Ahasuerus, but Haman controlled the audiences of the king. The only one who could come in without being killed was someone who was sent in by Haman. So Esther was saying back a very good Tainer. She said, listen, you command me to go to the king, I being queen, to ask Rahmanis for this nation. Let's understand what's happening here. Number one, Haman is in complete control. Number two, It's been 30 days since I've been called to the king. Now previously, they've been already married five years. Previous to this point, Ahasuerus regularly called for Esther. It initially it was every single day, and afterwards also apparently it was pretty regular. This was an unusual time, where for 30 days, an entire month, Ahasuerus had not called for Esther. So Esther said back, listen, strategically what you're suggesting isn't wise. Number one, Human controls things. Number two, anyway... Achashverosh is eventually going to call for me. It's been already thirty days. Why risk it that I might catch him in a bad mood? Let's wait until he actually calls for me, and it's much wiser. The pasuk says, "Va'yagidu divrei Esther." They said over to Mordechai as divrei Esther. Noticeably missing from this pasuk is the word hasach. Up until now, all of the back and forths. All the messages from Esther to Mordechai constantly said, Hosach came, Hosach said, meaning Daniel, was the shliach. Daniel was the one who was bringing it. In Pasuket Beis, that expression is missing, says says the Targum. The reason why it's missing is because actually Hosach was killed. When Haman heard that Hosach was running back and forth between Mordechai, his enemy, and the Queen Esther, he had him killed, which was somewhat risky. Daniel had been an advisor for many, many kings prior to this king Ahasuerus. He had been an advisor to Nebuchadnezzar, he had been an advisor to Balshetzer, and he was a very valuable Baal advisor. Yet Homan was in so powerful and knew his position so well that he was not afraid to kill Hosok, the minute he sees some sort of plot between him, he kills Hosok, and now it was someone else, someone else had to come to Mordechai to say, what Esther had re- replied back. Apostle says, When Mordechai got Esther's response, he responded back, Don't imagine within yourself, to save yourself in the king's palace, from all of the Jews, if you're silent at this time, a salvation and a Yeshua will come to the Jews, from another place, and you and your father's house will be lost, and who knows, who knows if it weren't for this very time, that you ended up coming to the Malchus, basically, what Mordechai was saying back to Esther was, don't think that you're going to hide in the king's palace. Right now you feel comfortable. Right now you feel you're the queen. You feel comfortable in your surroundings that you're not threatened. Don't imagine in your mind that you're going to be saved, because if you don't do this, the Rebbe HaKhazal come, the Jews will be saved, but you and your father's house will be lost. He's threatening Esther that a terrible thing is going to happen to them. And who knows if, if for, them, for this reason you got the Malchus. The Roshiva asked a very obvious question on this Pasuk, and that is that it sounds like Mordechai is losing his temper and answering back almost, if you would, irrationally to Esther, meaning Esther presented a logical strategy to Mordechai. She said as follows, you want me to go to the king to ask for Rachmanus for my nation. It's a wise idea. It's a good idea. However, the timing is poor. Why? Haman is controlling the conversations. He's controlling the audiences. The king hasn't called for me in 30 days. He's eventually going to call for me. Let me wait a few more days, whenever he'll call for me. At that point, I will be mischane. And at that point, I'll go ask Rachman, why should I go earlier when it risks the whole plan? At which point Mordechai gets all upset. What do you imagine? You're going to be saved in the base of Benafsheh. Who thinks you'll be saved? What do you mean that you, you and your father's house will be lost? It doesn't sound like Mordechai is talking back to what Esther is saying. Esther is presenting a strategy. And Mordechai is just getting upset and telling her, don't hide behind your, your throne. The Rashiva said, this is an example we call talking to Nagia. Meaning, Mordechai read in Esther's response something that Esther herself did not understand. Mordechai understood that the reason why she said, let me wait, was because she personally on some level, on some darkest, darkest level, felt that she was secure. Her life wasn't threatened. Because she felt secure, therefore she said, let me wait a few days, a few weeks, a few months till he calls me. Had Esther fully, fully understood that she was in the same mortal danger as every other Jew, she never would have responded this way. Mordechai picked that up from his from what she had said, and he said back to her, you're making a mistake, there's mortal danger in everyone else, and this is what the Roshiva calls talking to Nagia meaning sometimes a person will speak from a nagia they'll say certain svaras, not even understanding themselves, that the reason why they're saying that, is because they have some ulterior motives, some deep down recessed motivation, there are times when you talk directly to nagia ignore the tainas, because what she was saying wasn't the point, talk directly to nagia which is exactly what Mordechai did in this case. In any case... Esther sent back to return to Mordechai. She sent back the following message, that she be brought to Mordechai. Go gather together all of the Jews, who are found in Shushan. Fast for three days. Now, the Gra explains to us, what she was saying is, gather together the Jews of Shushan. Obviously, if you're fasting that day, you can't get the word out to all of the Jews of all the provinces. But again, since most of the Jews lived in Shushan, get the word out quickly. Fast. Don't eat. Don't drink. yomim Three days and night. Now, I've often been amazed by this fact that what we call Neskatnu Adoros, the generations have become weaker nowadays in our in, in our society. If we fast for a day, where he said mamish can't do anything, she was telling them to fast three days and three nights straight, meaning 72 hours. Gamaniv and our came. I and my young women will also do the same. And I will come to the king ashalokedas. Not according to religion, not according to Das, because Shavarati, Avarati. As I will be lost, I will be lost. Basically, she's saying, gather together all the Jews, call a Tainus for three days, I and my Naras will do the same, and then I'll go to the Melach HaShallok Rashi brings down the Gemara. What does it mean HaShallok ato ba'onis, va'akshav Vaakshabarotan. Up until now, it was Against her will now barotun, meaning, according to the Manda Omar that Esther was married to Mordechai. what Mordechai was commanding her to do now was Arias. She's a married woman. Up until now, she's been taken against her will. When she was originally brought into the palace, she was threatened with a life. If she would have refused the king's wishes to come, she would have been murdered. Therefore, it was honest, it was permitted for her to come. Up until now, every time the king called for her, again had she, as the queen, refused going to the king, again it would have been, she would have been murdered. So it was honest, and she, therefore there was a p'tur honest. And each of these times, even though she lived with the king, she was still permitted to her husband because she lived by honest. This was the first time in a marriage achashvirus that she's going berotzon. She's going willingly. Even though she's going to save the clients, well, even though she's going under command of her husband Galador, going willingly means that she's going to now be Osir, because a woman who's Nenas, a woman who's Baonus, is Mutal a woman who's Barotan is Osur She knows that going willingly means that she's going to be Osur Labila. And in fact the Gemara deals with it at length the Gemara deals with it at length the fact that why how is she in fact allowed to? We know it's Gile Arias and gile Arias you're not allowed to do even Ba'onus the answer is that either women is different; they don't have the gimel yarvaleyavas, or if it's not women that are different, it's it's living with a guy. That's a different issue, and therefore there's no yarvaleyava. But in any case, up until now it was constantly baonus; it was constantly against her will. Now it's barotzon, and that's what the rest of the pasuk says: "Keshavadati, avadati." As I was lost, I was lost. Rashi brings down the Gemara: Kashavati mi beis abba," as I was lost to my father's house, meaning I became an orphan. Oved mech, I'm going to be lost to you. Meaning, up until now, I was still permitted, if this Ahasheh would die, I'd be able to come back and remarry you. Now I'm going to be lost from you as well. She knew that she was going to lose her husband doing this, and she agreed. Now, the Targum Sheni tells us that what she was actually saying was, go gather together all the Jews in Shushan, and the Targum explains what actually happened. Mordechai sent out the message that there's to be three days of fasting and they gathered together they found 12,000 koanim within the Shushan area each coin took a shofar in his right hand, a seva torah in his left hand, and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Jews gathered in the main center over there, and they began crying. Avinu, makenu, Anenu Anenu. the Targum explains exactly what they were asking. And apparently it was an extraordinarily moving tshuva. They were all, they understood. Their life was literally finished. There was no hope. Mordechai told them clearly there was no derachateva, no normal strategies. They understood their days were numbered, and they cried out a true, true tshuva, and the entire client saw crying with the kolos of the shofrim, apparently the call was so great that the Gemara tells us that the, the malachim above began crying, the ovos the, actually awoken, meaning the tshuva was good, proper, and apparently accomplished what it, what it was set out to do. The next Pesach says, Vayavor Mordechai, Mordechai was over, V'yas kechol ashe, siv salav Esther, and he did in accordance to all that Esther commanded. The Pesach says, V'yavor Mordechai, he was over. What do you mean he was over? What did he violate? Over means he violated. Rashi brings down the Gemara, he was over al-das, he was over the religion. tov rishon Pesach, to fast on the first day of Pesach, meaning, it was Yud Gimel Nisan. When Haman came into Ahasuerus and finally convinced him. Again, for a long time he was beseeching Ahasuerus. a long time he was plotting to get Ahasuerus. It wasn't until Yud Gimel Nisan that Ahasuerus actually agreed to send out this Egerus. That is the day that this Egerus was sent... The day Ahasuerus agreed was the day the Egerus was sent out. That day, Mordechai sat down in the Shah HaMelech. That day the message came to Esther... That day Esther sends back the message, back and forth, what should I do? Do go in, don't go in. Finally Esther says, fast for me three days. Those three days were yud Dalet Nisan, Tesvav Nisan, and Teszayin Nisan, which means yud Dalet, which is Erev Pesach, Vov, which is the first day of Pesach, and Tes Zain, which is the second day of Pesach. Meaning, what Mordechai did, was he violated the Torah. There is a mitzah say Minah Torah, for Achilles Matzah, and Mordechai was mavatel that mitzvah. He fasted those three days. Now, it's worth understanding that lachor one would say, Mordechai did, made a mistake. Meaning, if the Klyosol is in mortal danger, and you need every tz'chus imaginable, I would have recommended Mordechai wait. Yud Gimel, the Geras goes out. Instead of making the tiny Yud at Tezvav and Tezayan, wait till after the first days of Pesach, eat matzah, the entire client doing a mitzvah, a matzah, kuroi would be a wonderful schuss, and begin the fast, a few days after. Meaning, the Igeris said, that the Jews are not to be killed, until Yud Gimel Adr, 11 months later. There's plenty of time, between today, meaning, today being Yud Gimel Adr, and Yud Gimel Nisan and then Yud Gimel Adr. It's 11 months. What's the rush? Why do you have to make the, the three-day fast right away and be mevat matzah? I believe the answer is you see something that Mordechai understood in terms of human nature. That had he waited another day or another two days, the Kleisol would have lost that burning understanding that their death is imminent and that there's only hope by relying on Hashem. Even though obviously they would have known, had he made the fast three, four days later, they certainly would have known that there's a danger and they certainly would have reached out. There wouldn't have been that same urgency and that same intensity of emotion. When you first hear the news that now is the time that Kali ended. The world comes to an end. There's a certain emotional impact to it. And Mordechai understood that had the Kali dominated dominant a few days later, granted they would have dominated with a lot of kavana, but it wouldn't have reached that same urgency, that same intensity. And Mordechai was afraid that it might not have worked. Therefore, he was willing to be mavatal and mitzvah say of achilas Matzah, because he knew that that intensity, that urgency is the only way that the tefillah would be macabal. And it's a tremendous lesson in terms of understanding how much a Jew can accomplish if he fully, fully reaches out. Oftentimes when, when dominating, there's a difference between a dominating and fully, fully reaching to the depth. Of, of a full tshuva. Mordechai understood it and only with the urgency of the danger imminent upon them would the class reach out. Therefore he made the Xer vayav, or Mordechai. He was over and he decreed that day should be the fast. For more information about the Ferris Torah and the Shmooz, or to listen to the Shmuz online, please visit us at www.theshmuz.com or call 1-866-613-Torah.